bringing to life the souls of the past that until now have been lost to history. Talking Heart Island is a half-hour weekly podcast that explores the history of Heart Island, America's largest mass graveyard. Heart Island has been used as New York City's potter's field since 1869. It is estimated there are over one million people buried there. Because of recent advances in DNA and fingerprint technology, the identities of some of these previously forgotten and anonymous people have been revealed. The results are truly shocking. Talking Heart Island will interview a special guest each week, selected from an extraordinary assembly of scholars, authors, and scientists in the fields of history, law, medicine, and the arts, as we unravel a secret kept hidden for 150 years. So welcome to Talking Heart Island. And now, here is our host, investigative history writer Michael T. Keene. Thank you very much, Norma Jean. And this is Michael Keene, and we are Talking Heart Island. One quick thing before we begin, we've been asked, how can you listen to previous episodes of the Talking Heart Island podcast? And you may do so by simply logging on to our website, michaeltkeen.com. M.J. Adams, then living in New York City, learned the full-term baby boy she was carrying had died in utero. Devastated by grief, and seeking a medical explanation, Adams agreed to an autopsy and was told it would take four to six weeks to get the results. At the time, she didn't have the money for a funeral, so she signed paperwork to have the baby buried at public expense in what Adams was told was a city cemetery. When Adams returned to the hospital six weeks later, she inquired about the results of the autopsy. She learned it was never performed. Her baby had already been buried in a mass grave on Hart Island. And today, our very special guest is M.J. Adams. M.J., how are you this morning? Good, good. Uh, you know, in kind of reviewing your background, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about your life, you know, where you uh, grew up and, and kind of the circumstances surrounding how you arrived in New York and, and the situation at the hospital. Sure, sure. I uh, actually grew up on Bashan Island, Washington. It's a little island off of uh, Seattle. And we lived with my grandfather. And then I also spent time as a child in Mitchell, South Dakota, with my grandmother for a while. And I ended up in Wyoming and was spent, went to junior high, high school there, kind of traveled around. We had My mom had passed away. That's why I had ended up with my grandmother as a child. And I ended up going to Casper College. I got a theater scholarship, and that's where I met my first husband, and we decided if you really wanted to be in theater and you needed to be in New York City. So 
So I ended up in New York City in 84. And um, unfortunately, my husband at the time, you know, when you're a writer and all that stuff, I think sometimes alcohol is a friend. And I ended up divorcing him and ended up going to um, culinary school because at the time I, I got a job at a magazine and was involved with the food editor and New York City is just a, a great place to be. And, and that's where I met Carlos and, um, and then ended up becoming, you know, pregnant. And I guess I don't, I'm kind of just blabbing on, but does that kind of answer your question? I'm sorry. Well, yeah. So you became pregnant and what was the hospital uh, that you checked into? Actually, I, I ended up going to, to St. Vincent Hospital. Um, at the time, Carlos, we, you know, we didn't have a lot of money, and there was a PCAP program that someone had told me about, and it was where the, the state of New York would, you know, help pay for your expenses. And so I, I and I don't even think St. St. Vincent's isn't there anymore because I've actually walked by the hospital. I, I tend to come out and visit New York every so often, but um, the, the year is 1995, so I would go to the hospital every, you know, other month to check on the progress of my baby. And the due date was August 17th of 1995, and of course that doesn't really mean anything. And when I went to the hospital to what Carlos and I thought, you know, was going to be to deliver our baby, um, we unfortunately were told you know, when I checked in and went through the process that they, they couldn't find a heartbeat and that our baby was dead. And um, through that day, you know, and upon, you know, d delivering my baby, we, we had to, to, you know, we were, of course, in shock and had to make a decision. Um, and, uh you know, the first thing they asked me was, you know, would you like to have an autopsy performed? And of course we both did because, I mean, I just couldn't understand how I could go nine months, you know, with the baby. And then I come to the hospital to deliver it and it was dead. And somehow they couldn't explain it and they felt it had probably been dead for a day or so. So I went back home and I had to wait six weeks for the results of the autopsy, which I was going to be told when I would come back from my six-week, you know, postpartum checkup. And when we went back to, or when I went back, you know, for my checkup, that's when I was told um, by them that they didn't know how to tell me, but somebody had made a mistake and that my baby was buried without the autopsy. And, uh, I mean, it was just, it was horrible because, you know, in between the six weeks, you know, you're waiting, wondering what's going on. I had also um, had went back to the hospital a week later after I'd given birth because I had given them some clothes that I had wanted my baby to be buried in. And so, you know, all these things were running through my mind. I mean, like, what did they do with the clothes? I mean, how was my baby even buried with them? I mean, it was just, it was really a horrible ordeal. So I um, 
wrote a letter to the president of the hospital. And I, um, you know, just told him my whole experience was, was just really very horrible. Um, you know, after delivery, we got in a fight. They didn't want my husband to stay in the room with me overnight and just a lot of different things. So I sent the letter and I got a call. Oh, and this, this is like, you know, six weeks. So this is like October now um, from the hospital. The vice president wanted to meet with me and Carlos. Um, and we set the date. So we went in. And of course, there, that's when they told me that, you know, uh, uh, autopsy doesn't mean anything. And and uh, so it may not have given us the answers that we wanted. And in lieu of, the, of this horrible mistake, they were going to give the genetic counseling, you know, like we could do this test to see if there was something wrong because Carlos had actually had lost a baby with his first wife in, in eight months of her pregnancy. So we said, okay, um, we'll, we'll have you do that. And then of course, you know, two weeks after the testing, you know, they found nothing wrong. And then I got the bill in the mail and, and that was just like, you know, it was just like one thing after another. It was just very upsetting. And I had already made the decision that I just, you know, after 12 years of living in New York, I just, I just couldn't be there anymore. And I decided that it was time to, you know, come back to South Dakota. So, and, and meanwhile, I guess I, I kind of knew, you know, I always knew that when my baby, we had made the decision to, to bury it with the city, which we felt like that was kind of our only option because we didn't have any money. And they had told me about a place where other babies were, you know, on City Island. It's kind of like Potter's Field. And, you know, you try not to think about it, but it's like it's your baby is with other babies. And I just thought I would come back at some time and, you know, try to, you know, see my baby. And, and at that time, too, you could not get a death certificate until a year had passed since the day of, of, of you know, your delivery date. So I came out here to South Dakota and, you know, Carlos and I had opened up a little specialty store to see if it would even work out here. My, my sister lived in Rapid City. And unfortunately, six months into opening our business, there was a big fire and it burned down half of the entire block and our business burned down with it. So I, I kind of spent the next six months, you know, doing paperwork and trying to get an SBA loan and we opened up another restaurant. Well, before you know it, years pass and I, you know, my life, I divorced Carlos. And, you know, I always still think about my baby all the time. And it wasn't until, honestly, 15 years later when I'm sitting here in my home with Walter, who, who I met, um, that on the, on the Rapid City Journal, there was a little... Uh, associated press piece and it was talking about um, the island of lost souls and I'm just looking at this and I'm thinking like oh my god I I'm sorry I thought like is this where my baby's buried and uh, it's I mean, even though it'll be almost like 24 years now, it's just crazy because when you think about things, it just all comes flooding back. And so I, 
I just was like, oh my God, you know, this was just crazy because this whole article talked about this island that was run by the Department of Corrections in New York City. And I'm like, well, you know, I was never told any of this. So um, Walter actually immediately filled out a vital records form in to try to get a death certificate because I just had never bothered to do it, you know, running a restaurant and everything else. I mean, life is just all consuming. And so, um, and also Walter reached out to Melinda Hunt because she was this woman who was also an artist, but she had taken on Heart Island as a project, which I never even knew it was called Heart Island. I, I thought it was called City Island. And she had been discovering, you know, that the Department of Corrections ran this island, where which was Potter's Field in New York City, and they prisoners would bury the dead. And so um, the vital records sent back a, a letter telling us that the microfilm was really poor. They couldn't really give me a death certificate, but they could just give me a letter of verification that, yes, I did have a baby. And Melinda, in the meantime, was, you know, trying to find out, you know, information on our baby and, and come to find out they had, you know, kind of glop my name together because even though I went by Adams at the uh, hospital, it was Gabard, you know, um, so, but she had found out that yes, my baby was buried, you know, and where it was, but the most upsetting information was that they had actually buried my baby on October 26th. And when I went back to St. Vincent's, and on October 2nd, they told me that my baby had already been buried. So I, I have no idea what happened and where my baby was or, but, you know, so obviously the hospital lied, you know. And I felt like I really wanted to see my baby. But at this point, um, you know, it was the Department of Corrections ran Heart Island and nobody had really gone to the island they had uh, a group of people that you were allowed to maybe go on, on a, this boat and and you could, you know, stand at the shore. I mean, it was just this whole process that Melinda had been working on for probably 20 years by then already. And uh, the only way that I was going to get to Hard Island was if, if we were going to sue. So we began that process. And meanwhile, I'm, you know, running the corn exchange and... Um, a lawyer had gotten, I think there were seven of us women, and we filed the paperwork, and they had to sue the Department of Corrections to let us visit Hart Island. And you know, by this time, it's like 2011. Um, in 2012, uh, they held a hearing um, with the Fire and Criminal Justice Service, and I, you know, Melinda wanted to know if I could come, so I, you know, flew out to New York City so I could be a part of it because we wanted to put you know, in writing, you know, uh, the, the visitation, you know, what the legalities would be. And so, you know, by this time, you know, now it's, you're talking like April of 2014. I, I finally, you know, two years later, we, we can visit Hard Island. Um, I have to sign this uh, liability agreement, you know, saying if I get you know, attacked by a wild animal or I fall in a hole that it's not, you know, the fault of the Department of Corrections. And it's just like, you know, I couldn't understand like, where was I going where I would 
fall in a hole or be attacked by a wild animal. I'm just going to this place where I'm supposed to be able to visit my, my baby. And I'm sure it was just a deterrent from the Department of Corrections, but, you know, I'm a pretty tough person and I've lived through a lot in my life and I was like, well, whatever, I'll sign it. So on, it was actually Mother's Day weekend, Walter and Melinda and I were able to visit Hart Island, but I don't know if you've ever been to City Island and that's where the entrance is, where there's a ferry boat, which the Department of Corrections runs because uh, it takes a little bus over with prisoners on it and one day a week is when they bury the various bodies. There's an area for children. There's an area for other people on the island. So we would had to go in and I couldn't bring a cell phone. You can't have cameras and you go with a, a gentleman who's a prison guard and he's very nice and you go across on this ferry boat and then you get to Hart Island and by this time, Hurricane Sandy had done a little bit of damage. And I mean, it's very interesting, the place um, with various buildings that are kind of crumbling. And they really wanted me to get in a van and drive to where my baby was. But I thought, you know, I've come all this way. I'm going to walk. So I, I walked, you know, on this path that they led me. And... Uh, I was trying to think what wild animal was that I going to see, and I did see a raccoon. I guess that was the wild animal that the Department of Corrections was, you know, afraid was going to attack me or something. But um, I got to the spot, and there's just white kind of markers, and in each marker there's a thousand bodies. I mean, it's kind of depressing. Um, uh, I remember at the time when I had thought that maybe I was going to force the hospital to dig up my baby, they were like, oh, well, you're going to have to dig up everybody else's baby. And I mean, they just made it sound so awful. So when I, you know, kind of got to where the plot was, where our baby was buried, I, I don't know, it just sounds all so morbid, but you just try to not think about it. And I was just grateful that I could be there. And it's not like any cemetery you would go to because you have to have a prison guard that's literally like 100 feet away watching what you're doing. And Linda was there, which was very nice. And and they gave Walter and I a little privacy. And so I just sat there and, you know, of course it just brought back a lot of pain, but I felt like you know, I mean, here it is, 2014, and it's 19 years later that I was actually, you know, to have some closure in my life because I always, you don't know, think about, you know, was I a horrible person? I mean, I should have, maybe I should have borrowed the money. You know, I should have put my baby in some other place. But I have to say it's very peaceful there. You look out across and you see, um, I forgot, is it the Bay of Long Island or the Long Island Sound? Um, and not far from there, there's the old Civil War monument, which the, uh, the prison guard, he really wasn't supposed to. He kind of took us over there and showed me that, which is kind of nice. Um, but again, I mean, it's just very surreal. And I, you know, I didn't know how long to stay. I So, you know, we all walked back and, you know, got back on this ferry boat and, you know, and you come back and there's this big gate. And I mean, it's just, you know, stay away no trespassing. I mean, it's just all kind of, you know, not very pleasant. 
And I mean, that's kind of my experience. And I guess I should feel lucky because I think I'm, I don't know if I was like the second person by then to be able to, to step on Hart Island and actually go to the gravesite and visit where my baby was. But um, I, I certainly want to go back and uh, whenever possible, I do try to, you know, do things for Melinda and, and make people aware about Hart Island, um, which they have been trying to make a, a public park. But I mean, it's just strange because no other cemetery in the whole country is set up like New York City, you know, Pottersfield, and it's run by the Department of Correction. So it's just, it, it's, I would have never, ever agreed to have my baby buried there if I had known all the details. So, um, MJ, yeah, there, there very mm-hmm. well could be other women listening to this podcast and who are in a similar situation. Where would you direct them to get more information? You mentioned Melinda Hunt. I know she runs something called the Heart Island Project. Would that be a starting place for them to maybe find out what happened? To their own child? Yes, I. Yes, I'm sorry. I, I definitely would start with the Heart Island Project. And what Melinda did was she actually has a website, and and we actually you can go to the website and you can put in Juan Carlos Gabard Jr.'s name, and you can actually see on the map where he is buried. I mean, she's done this wonderful kind of virtual website, and it. It takes you to Hard Island and you can see where people are buried. But she really has done such a wonderful job of doing this and, and fighting this system. And I, I that's, that's definitely where I would start, would be the Hart Island Project. And it's, it's and they have a website, but it's H-A-R-T is, is Hart Island, is how Hart Island. And she also has an email uh, address. I mean, you can email her if you go to the Hart yeah. Island Project website, correct? Yes, yes, you can. And she's wonderful. I mean, I, I stay in touch with her. Uh, I mean, she really changed our life. I, I, I mean, I always thought about my baby and I just, you know, being out here in South Dakota, I, it was just hard. And, you know, the New York City, I mean, you know, the, any kind of bureaucracy, I mean, it's just exhausting. And I admire her very much. So, and we always try to support her and, and get people because it's all, it's also a nonprofit. And so they they do are able to do things by people donating money. So, okay, so that is Melinda Hunt, and it's the Heart Island Project. Um, where are you yes. today? Where do you live now? I live. Oh, it's always I'm I'm here in Rapid City, South Dakota. It's in the mm-hmm. Black Hills. It's it's um, I'm like 69 miles from from Wyoming. I. My my dad, uh, it'll be three years ago that he passed away, but he was over in Wyoming, so it was very nice. He was close by, and, and as I said, my sister lives here. And um, and I have since, you know, in, in 2013, I, I just felt after 15 years, I just wanted a break from the restaurant. I just was tired, and I just closed it, and, and I know the town was very upset, but I just... I don't know. I felt like I put Rapid City on the map. I'd been in cooking magazines. I cooked at the James Beard house, which was kind of fun because early on I was a volunteer. So I felt like I'd come full circle and I just wanted something different in my life. And I, 
luckily was able to work with South Dakota Public Television and I had done a, a cooking show with them called Savor Dakota, which is actually going to be airing on Create Television, which is very exciting in the fall. They, they kind of acquired it. And now I've, I'm just waiting for my cookbook to be sent to the printer, the, the Corn Exchange cookbook. So Now, what, what's um, the title of the cookbook? It, the restaurant was called the Corn Exchange. Corn Exchange, so okay. The, yeah, it's it's actually named after the old bank. There was a bank many years ago in Brooklyn, Philadelphia, called the Corn Exchange. And when I knew I wasn't going to live in New York anymore, and when I came back here, I decided, ah, oh, the Corn Exchange. I, of course, people were like, "What the heck is that?" You know, it was kind of a nightmare, and I'd explain it. And but the cookbook is named after the restaurant, the Corn Exchange Cookbook. From the Big Apple to the Black Hills, we are self-publishing it. Um, but I have a dear friend who I met at the magazine when I worked at Woman's Day, and, and she is at Random House, and she has been working on it for me. So it is just waiting to be sent to Hong Kong here in a, in a week or so, and then you'll be able to, you know, purchase it. I believe on Amazon and and on my website. What what, what is your um, website? How 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 would we contact your website? It's a uh, uh, com, and there'll be a link to connect to it. And, and, and I hope to be going out to, you know, to New York. I, I went to the French Culinary Institute, so I'll probably be there. I'll, I want to go to San Francisco. So I'm really going to promote the book and, and be in a couple places and, and cook, cook some recipes. Um, so, it's, yeah, it's, Rapid City is very far from New York City. I I <laughs> thought maybe I could save the Midwest from McDonald's, and I realized it was a much bigger challenge than I realized. Well, you're but, doing your small part, though, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I try. So it's it's um, I I try to get back to the East Coast every, every like once or twice. And and Walter, who I, if it wasn't for him, honestly, I don't think any of this would have been possible through him, you know, reaching out and being such a loving and supporting husband. Um, and he's actually in New Jersey. So we have this kind of like long distance relationship, which we've been doing for 16 years. So uh, I'm not quite sure where I'm going to end up, but at the moment, you know, I guess the Black Hills is, is such a bad place to be. Well, as long as we check your website, chefmjadams.com, we can at least follow what your next episode will be, correct? Yes, yes, we can definitely, you know, and, and anybody that has any questions, I'm more than happy to help anybody, you know, that wants to, you know, if they can't connect, you know, with Melinda or, mm-hmm. or I can, I'm more than happy to explain, you know, the process. It's, uh, yeah, I, I know there's a lot of people, especially, I mean, I'm lucky that I was able to visit. I'm sure a lot of somebody that had a baby that was born illegally, you know, was not ever going to be able to visit Heart Island. It's, it's just, it's very sad. So I'm more than happy to talk to anybody and help connect them with Melinda. Well, MJ, I want to thank you very much for being a guest on Talking Heart Island. Thank you very much. Oh, you're more than welcome, Michael. Thank you for reaching out. 
Hi, this is Norma Jean. I wanted to take a moment to remind you, in order to receive updates or news about upcoming episodes of Talking Heart Island, simply go to the subscribe page on our website located at www.michaeltkeen.com and enter your email address. If you have any questions about the podcast itself or simply wish to contact any team members for book inquiries, voiceovers, website or graphics design, use our contact page, also found at www.michaeltkeen.com. And if you're enjoying the show and would like to give us a review, please do so at iTunes. We would greatly appreciate it. So until next week, this is Norma Jean, and we're Talking Heart Island. (music) 